Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Chris Clow, editor for HW Media and Reverse Mortgage Daily, sitting in today for Sarah Wheeler. Today on Housing Wire Daily, we sat down with HW Media Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about a recent enforcement action by the CFPB against a mortgage lender and how the average independent mortgage bank lost $534 per loan in the second quarter, marking a big improvement over Q1. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking to Desmond Smith, Chief Growth Officer at UWM, about SafeCheck. Desmond, how are trigger leads impacting borrowers? So trigger leads have become a very big issue throughout many industries, not just mortgages, but specifically the mortgages. What we've seen happen is a loan officer or a broker will pull credit and sometime within minutes, but uh, definitely within the hour, uh, we've had consumers receive upwards of 40 calls. You know, within a day or two, they may receive hundreds of calls. So that's the reason that UWM created SafeCheck to protect borrowers. Thanks, Desmond. And listeners, you can find out more about SafeCheck at uwm.com. James, welcome back to Housing Wire Daily. We appreciate you making the time. Thanks for having me, Chris. Oh, of course. Much obliged. Well, uh, first off, we should talk about the recent decision by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, to find Freedom Mortgage Corporation and Realty Connect USA Long Island for illegal kickbacks. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, this is a big one. I think this has been a little under the radar as well. This represents the first enforcement action associated with the 1974 Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act, better known as RESPA in six years. So the, the CFPB hasn't come down on a company over RESPA violations since 2017. Uh, and, and I think that's pretty major. You know, it, it's such a gray area. And the fact that the CFPB has really made a big statement in going after a lender that, by the way, is, is a top 25 lender and has been among the biggest lenders in America for quite some time. I, I think it's pretty significant and the allegations are very serious. So, you know, Rohit Chopra, the director of the CFPB, he said that Freedom provided kickbacks to real estate brokers and agents, including those at Realty Connect, uh, in return for mortgage referrals. And that's a clear violation of federal law. And the CFPB is going to continue to try to root out what they believe is anti-competitive behavior. And... That's something that we've seen a lot of in general from the Biden administration. The FTC has been uh, pretty serious in trying to shut down mergers and acquisitions that they deem anti-competitive. They took a run at the ICE Black Knight deal, I think fairly unsuccessfully, although they were able to uh, exact a couple major uh, concessions in, in you know Black Knight having to sell their LOS to get the deal across. And, and that deal does look poised to go through. So that they have made a lot of efforts uh, in, in the last couple of years, really, to go after companies in the, the housing finance space and, and just general financing and, and say, look, if you're going to be maybe doing things a little bit too far into the 
dark gray area, we are going to through enforcement action, say, here's where the line is. And anyone who does decide to cross it is going to get hit with a really big fine. I think the bigger question here, Chris, is because we've seen so few enforcement actions since 2017, we don't know, is this an anomaly? Is this just a very, you know, specific case in which freedom, um, you know, it was looking for mortgage referrals through real estate brokerages and uh, flew a little bit too close to the sun? Or is this more of a uh, common practice that other mortgage lenders have been, you know, doing similar work and then finding that they just didn't get targeted for whatever reason. And freedom is now the example and everyone is on notice and is going to be changing the way they interact with these real estate brokerages. We don't know that yet. Uh, And the CFPB customarily does not really talk about these kinds of things. And freedom, of course, um, has nothing to say on the matter, nor does the real estate brokerage, which by the way, only had to pay a $200,000 fine. Freedom is paying a little bit closer to $1.8 million in fines. And and those fines are going to be going to the CFPB's victim relief fund. I, I think it will be hard to come up with very clear cut victims of this. You know, it's, it's always tricky when you're looking at referral business and saying, okay, because this company decided to allegedly kick back this referral that the customer got poor service or didn't receive, uh, you know, a deal that maybe they should have received, um, that they were taken advantage of and they lost thousands of dollars or, or even more potentially, right? So we don't really know the full extent of that. Um, but the fact that the CFPB has publicized it so heavily and, and um, got a pretty big fine out of freedom, uh, I, I think suggests that they're going to be pretty serious about looking at this going forward. And if there are other companies engaging in similar practices, uh, it's going to get shut down real quick. Yeah, you know, I I, I noticed in uh, the reporting. Shout out to Brooklyn Han, by the way, for writing up the the story. Um, but yeah, the, you you also mentioned that this is the first RESPA enforcement action in six years. Why is this a tool used so sparingly in terms of enforcement practice? Or is it more just is it more just that? Uh, there was a, a, a pretty big change up in the leadership of the federal government. So maybe they're more focused on something like this. I think it's probably a little bit of both. So the CFPB hired a lot of attorneys in the last year and a half, two years, uh, have really been kind of building up their enforcement division and have been uh, pretty public in, in saying that they want to go after a lot of companies that are operating in this in this gray area Uh, And these investigations typically take quite a long time. They don't just walk in to uh, a mortgage lender's headquarters on Monday and and come out with with an order on Wednesday. You know, they take several months to to work through and there are typically audits. There's all kinds of work that goes into it. I I think partly there's a little bit more interest and, um, you know, dedicated resources on the part of the federal government. Um, But also, like I said, these, these are tricky cases. These are not super common. It's, I I think, rare that you see very um, obvious, very clear violations of RESPA. It's not normally so quid pro quo. It's not like, hey, uh, how about this? Chris, if you get that client over to me, I'll give them a mortgage and I'll give you, you know, 50 tickets to 
Seattle Mariners games, you know, for, for the upcoming season. I, I mean, that, that would probably be pretty cruel as well, given how, how poor they are, but um, you know, it's, it's usually not so obvious what freedom allegedly did here is uh, basically, so, so the CFPB says freedom enters into a marketing services agreement with a brokerage and they're going to then pay the brokerage, you know, X amount of dollars per month. And uh, in, in this case, freedom is alleged to have made such agreements with 40 different real estate brokerages and the monthly payments that freedom had sent cumulatively was about $90,000 a month. So it's, it's real money. You know, it's, it's pretty significant. And instead of using these payments to compensate brokerages for the marketing services that they performed, Freedom used these marketing services agreements as a vehicle to pay for the mortgage referrals, right? A, a, a kickback. And so Realty Connect is one of those mortgage, uh, real estate brokerages, and they received about six grand a month from Freedom but they didn't do a lot of the marketing tasks that the agreement should have required them to do. Now, there are other allegations as well uh, related, right? So the CFPB says that Freedom uh, you know, offered real estate brokers and agents fee-free access to industry subscription services, which included information about property reports, comparable sales, and foreclosure, foreclosure data. And these per- perks were offered in exchange for a requirement that agents and brokers agree to be paired with a freedom loan officer. So again, that's where the CFPB says that is, there's nothing great about that. That that is quid pro quo. And freedom also allegedly offered free access to parties and other exclusive events as well. Uh, and so, you know, it, it kind of adds up if you believe the CFPB and, and like I said, you know, they, they just haven't, really gone after cases like this. The last one in 2017 was a consent order with Prospect Mortgage based out of California. And they allegedly paid Remax, Gold Coast, and a Keller Williams affiliate affiliate monthly fees that were contingent on the number of referrals they gave to Prospect Mortgage. And, and they paid about $3.5 million way back in the day. And then a couple months later, there was a title company that was allegedly involved in, in a scheme for, you know, mortgage and title kickback. So, you know, it, it does happen according to the CFPB. We just don't know how frequent my guess would be. There are a number of companies that do similar work, I guess you could call it, engage in similar practices, but are probably a little bit better about hiding it or don't, you know, maybe spend as much on it. You know, Freedom is a huge mortgage company and um, and they have a budget to uh, to do that. That all being said, it's not like Freedom has done a tremendous amount of purchase business either. You know, they've fallen pretty significantly over the last couple of years. So it could be possibly desperation that they know that they've been falling in the origination game and they need to get back up. And, you know, the whole market is really centered right now around purchase business. So that's speculation. We don't know. These are just allegations at this point. They haven't been tried in a court of law. We don't know if Freedom uh, and the other defendant is planning on appealing the case, but certainly it's it's something that I think the whole industry is going to be watching very closely. 
Well, you had uh, alluded to the idea that because it's been six years since uh, a similar enforcement action was undertaken by the Bureau, that maybe this could mean that uh, that the federal government is looking more closely at this kind of violation. What more uh, do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that it's very likely that the CFPB under Rohit Chopra is going to be looking quite closely at real estate agreements, you know, the whole industry, it's, it's all, it's, it's a big ecosystem, right? And everything is connected. So the mortgage lender is connected to the real estate brokerage. It's connected to the title insurance company. It's connected to the appraisal company, which often involves an appraisal management company. And in some States it's connected to real estate attorneys. And, uh, you know, then there's a whole secondary market as well. You know, it's th- these things don't happen in a vacuum And because there are relationships that are referral based, right, it's built on this idea that, you know, another third party is providing a service that will be of value to that client and and they're getting the best service possible for the money that they pay. Um, It leaves a lot of room for there to be potential bad actors. We know that the CFPB has looked very closely at, at a lot of these arrangements, broadly speaking, you know, they've been looking at, at, you know, various um, marketplaces and exchanges. They've been looking at, uh, you know, the, the Zillow uh, lawsuits that, that have been filed. They've been looking at all kinds of things related to real estate. Uh, we also know that the MBA and, and a lot of other industry stakeholders have complained pretty bitterly about the CFPB's, maybe I, I could say like practice in, in approaching this. It's not, it's not based on, uh, <laughs> you know, Hey everybody! Here's what I would like you to do: do not do this, do not do that, do not do this. Instead, it's it's usually through an enforcement action, similar to what we saw on Friday with Freedom. It's it's just, hey, here's here's the new plan, and and this is the line, and if you step over it, you're going to get hit with a really big fine. And so the industry definitely um, does not appreciate that approach. And I think if you really want to look very closely at any kind of um, business that is, you know, trillions of dollars a year, you're going to find certain relationships and certain practices that don't benefit the consumer. I think there's just too much money on the line. And the CFPB would probably tell you that when deals are much harder to come by, companies get more desperate and there's a greater likelihood that there are going to be people who maybe towed the line previously and now are, you know, several steps across it. So like I said, we, we don't know the extent of this. It could just be an isolated case in which there's one lender who allegedly, um, you know, paid for kickbacks and is going to get slapped pretty hard and everyone else will fall in line. And, and if those practices are continuing on some level, um, then they run a massive risk. And and just keep in mind, Chris, like all of these companies have compliance attorneys. All of these companies spend a lot of money making sure that they don't get hit with a huge lawsuit or aren't embroiled in litigation that is unending. I mean, these cases can go on for many years and it is very expensive to handle a case like that. So We'll see. I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's it's certainly risky if there are other companies that are engaged in these practices and plan to continue them. 
Yeah. And I think uh, another potential wrinkle that, that could color this in the future is just that we know that a constitutionality decision regarding the CFPB's funding structure is pending in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, yep. certain lower courts have uh, demonstrated a, a little pause in terms of uh, implementing CFPB enforcement actions pending that decision. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that, of course. Um, well, let's move on to, uh, to the next story. Uh, we wanted to touch on the quarter to quarter loss levels for independent mortgage banks or IMBs. What can you tell me about the numbers in Q2 that came out from the MBA? Well, why don't we start with Q1? So Q1 was kind of a disaster, right? The, the average independent mortgage bank, um, retail only, by the way, lost a, almost $2,000 per loan in the first quarter of 2023. And, and, you know, all of those associated costs went way up. And that's partly because they hadn't cut enough staff to kind of hit the, the level in which the lack of volume really hurt them. And so what we saw in the second quarter is a lot of those cuts, which, you know, generally, Chris, like they take months to to happen. These are generally speaking, pretty large companies with thousands of employees. You cannot just walk into work on Monday and say, all right, we're going to cut 30% of our staff without a plan, without, you know, the ability to stage some of the, the issues, without the ability to figure out who can step in. If you had, let's say 10 processors and now you only have four, which ones stay, which ones go, how do they liaise with, you know, um, a loan officer or someone in underwriting, you know, that there's a lot of strategy that has to go into making these kinds of decisions. And I think it also speaks to the challenges in, in just operating a mortgage company when rates are in the sixes, sevens, and, and in the second quarter, very much in the sevens, you know, we've been in, I think the 7% range for the last couple months now. And so that's going to show up in the Q3 data. Um, but if you look at it, really the, the more, I think, minute points. So, so why don't we dive into some of the numbers on, you know, how, how some of these companies did. So the positive is about 58% of these retail mortgage companies were profitable in the second quarter. In the first quarter, that only 32% of those companies were profitable. So that's, that's a massive improvement. And production losses were a lot less severe than they were in previous quarters. And also keep in mind, the servicing income was much stronger. And, and so, you know, the majority of these companies did manage to squeeze out a profit in the second quarter. And the overall production volume for the average independent mortgage bank in Q2 was about 502 million. And that's up from 398 million in the first quarter. So volume was better. The volume count per IMB increased to about 1,550 loans in the second quarter. That's up from about 1,250 in the first quarter. Um, but you look at production revenue and it was only 328 bips basis points in the second quarter. And that's a decrease of about 30 basis points from Q1. And, and so that's where you start to get into really kind of the, the hairy monsters of, of the mortgage game right now. And so we're talking about fee income down, 
secondary marketing income down, warehouse spread has grown. It's it's a really, really difficult environment for them to to operate in. And let's not lose sight of the bigger picture here, which is even though the loss was only 534 per loan, which was an improvement from the first quarter, it's still a loss, right? Like they were not doing great as originators. They have been basically saved by servicing. And I think servicing is going to continue to be a really strong business because it's really built around prepayment speeds, right? And who, who the heck is going to be refining, you know, when rates are in the sevens and could be climbing closer to eight, right? Like they're, uh, the spread right now, I mean, it, it's been a couple hours since I looked, but it was like 4.35 this morning. I mean, that's crazy. We haven't seen a spread like that since, no joke, November of 2007. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. And so rates are going to be in the, the mid sevens today, uh, probably around seven, five, maybe seven, six, potentially. Uh, and, and they're not going to be dropping measurably for a couple months at least. So when we talk about the third quarter, origination volume is not going to be much better than the second quarter. The second quarter is probably going to be a high, at least in terms of you know origination volume productivity. So will servicing probably be about the same? I think so. It'll probably be pretty good. Um, is that enough for a lot of these companies to keep their heads above the water? I think so. You know, especially some of these companies are, are really, really smart in how they've managed their MSRs and, and how they've selectively sold when they had to, to free up cash. Others have been just bringing in a lot of income from, you know, that the servicing rights, they, they don't pay a lot, but you know, if you have hundreds of billions in servicing rights, you know, you're going to bring in a fair amount of income. That's going to be, you know, 50, 60, 70, a hundred million per quarter or more. Right. So there are positives, there are negatives. I think the third quarter is going to remain pretty challenged from an originations perspective, but you know, we'll, we'll see if this, this ends up being sticky. It all depends on the fed, right? It all depends on rates. And, and at this point, if, if I had a crystal ball, you know, I wouldn't be doing this job. I would uh, I'd be making money trading uh, mortgage-backed securities or there something. You go. Well, uh, you had mentioned the increased levels of profitability, despite the fact that I think everybody is aware this is a very challenging operating environment, regardless of uh, which kind of mortgage you're originating, as I'm actually currently writing about on RMD. Um, but what do you think was a driver of this increased profitability? Obviously, it's not perfect, but you know you have to note an improvement when it happens. What do you think drove that? Yeah, there's one very significant driver of of um, you know kind of the it's really on the expense side, Chris. So if you look at the loan production expenses, so this is how much goes into you know all the costs associated with originating that loan, uh, and and those have been climbing like. Every quarter, you know, I remember looking back at old data and I was like, hey, like, you know, it reaches a new high of like $6,000 per loan in whatever month and year it was or whatever quarter it was. Um, and then you look at where it's been in more recent times and it's like, it's eye popping. It's absolutely crazy. So in the first quarter, we were looking at a figure of about $13,171 per loan in the first quarter. That was expenses. In the second quarter, that figure dropped to $11,044 per loan. And so 
it, it really comes down to they've cut a lot of people, the lenders. Uh, many of those decisions really started to appear in the data for the second quarter. They were more efficient because their production volume went up a little bit and their expenses and costs went down a good bit. Uh, and, and some of these costs were, you know, one-time fees related to severance or, you know, healthcare payments that they have to make, or uh, in some cases they've rewritten agreements with vendors. They've just cut a lot of costs and, and that's out of necessity. That's not because these are, you know, businesses that have finally figured out how to become hyper-efficient in mortgage. You know, it's just, they cut a lot of people. They've rewritten a lot of agreements that they, you know, used to spend a lot of money on. And they had a bit of an uptick because the second quarter is is the traditional home buying season, right? People start in the spring and they really ramp up and they want to get it done in the summer before, you know, the kids start going back to school or, or you know, whatever happens uh, in, in September. So that's that's kind of where I think we see the biggest change in the data. And we're going to see expenses, I think, probably drop again in the third quarter. So that's that's really where the, the, the intrigue will come from. When you have months of 7% mortgage rates and, geez, I don't even want to consider what it looks like at, you know, 7.6% just as a, you know, a number to throw out there for a couple months. But, but you know, that's going to chill the demand side. Uh, and, and you're going to see a, a pretty, relatively speaking, low level of volume. We've already seen that uh, inventory new listings is down pretty significantly. So it was about 60,000 new listings last week. It was about 68,000 new listings uh, a year ago that week and about 80 something thousand the year before that in 2021. So, you know, that there's no money to be made if there are no listings, right? And nobody's refining at 7.6%. You know, it's like probably going to be 8% of the market in the third quarter, or maybe less. So it's all purchase. And if there are no listings, you know, like, Nobody's making money if there are no homes that transact, right? So third quarter is going to look pretty ugly, I think, on the origination side. But the benefit is I think they've really wrapped their arms around some of the expense issues. And we heard of two separate large non-publicly traded IMBs doing mass layoffs in just the last couple of weeks. So that you know, I don't know when exactly that data will show, maybe the fourth quarter, right? Maybe part of the third, but um, that's that's kind of where we are right now. So we, we do see continual changes to the expense side of the equation. And, and I think that's going to remain pretty sticky until rates really start to drop, right? And we're not going to see that most likely until, geez, I almost hazard to make a guess because I had sort of assumed that they would drop by now. And they haven't, they've only, you know, continued to climb. But I think conservatively, if, if you assume that the Fed is going to start cutting the rates, not just leaving them where they are uh, in second quarter of 2024, we probably won't see a 5% mortgage rate until maybe the end of 2024. You know, we, we could be looking at a long time in the sixes. So that's, that's going to really, I think, cause a lot of these lenders to say, if origination remains at such paltry levels, we're going to have to continue to cut to, to try to at least be 
even or a little bit profitable because you just, you know, how many businesses in any industry are able to maintain uh, a strong business if you've lost money 12 quarters in a row, you know? So. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, um, you know, if they are more aggressively trying to cut costs while this more challenging environment is going on. And if rates continue to trend upward, then uh, it'll be, it'll be fascinating for people like us to watch how things unfold, but it'll also certainly be an eventful time for the professionals who are of course on the front lines. So I think that that's a, that point is very well taken, but um, well, great, James, thank you very much for being a part of this. Really appreciate the, uh, the check-in of course, and uh, we'll be sure to check in with you again on the top stories of the newsroom very soon. Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.